you know, living in an RV is like every child, every child's dream and every parent's nightmare, right? So it's still you know, my dream. I think I'm more of a child than a parent at this point. I'm only six <laughs> months in because I'm still like, let's do it. <laughs> This is the final call for the Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast, episode 328. Costa Rica ranks number one in the world on the Happy Planet Index, which uses three criteria, life expectancy, experienced well-being, and the ecological footprint to determine the overall happiness level of every country in the world. The United States, 108. Ooh. Today's guests, Jess and Will, are doing two things that I dream of doing, hopefully in the very near future. One, taking an RV trip. For them, they're going all around Europe. And two, having their children grow up in multiple countries around the world during their formative years. You're going to hear all about their experiences and how they were able to do this in today's episode. But no matter what type of traveling I'm going to be doing, whether it's an RV just for a couple weeks, whether it is moving the family to another country to spend some extended time in, it doesn't matter. You guys know what I'm going to be packing in. That is my Tortuga backpack. So if you want the best travel carry-on backpack, whether you're moving your country around the world, whether you're just taking a weekend trip, it doesn't matter. Check it out, tortugabackpacks.com. Don't forget to use that promo code EPOP, that's E-P-O-P, all capital letters, because that'll get you 10% off your entire order. Hello, travel nerds, and welcome to the Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast, the show that teaches you how to travel more while spending less. I'm your host, Travis Sherry, and joining me today are people who want to give their children an epic childhood whose goal is to live and work in every country in Europe and who believe that we should live the world one hometown at a time and who may or may not be hardcore. That's for you guys to decide. Jessica and Will from worldtowning.com. Guys, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having us, Travis. Great to be here. Right before we got on and started recording, we had a big, big discussion about who's hardcore travelers and who are not. We neither of us consider ourselves hardcore travelers, right? But in some people's eyes, we may be. I mean, I get messages from people that say, "No, you guys are totally hardcore. You have to dump the poop in the RV. That's crazy, you know." And now it just seems normal for us. Well, you, I don't know. I've, I personally have never done it. Will and the kids do it? But. When you live your life on a daily basis, and it just seems like your every day is normal, you know, hardcore is all relative at that point. So we just, you know, we do what we do, and we don't hate it. And that's that's the cool part about it. Although someone did message us the other day and say, "You guys are hardcore," and I was like, "Yes, we've finally reached hardcore status, whatever that means, right? Because it's relative." But we're there. You're, you're hardcore to me because you're traveling with two kids. I'm about to embark on a mission with one infant. And I'm sure like on the first nine and a half hour flight we have of him, I'm like, they're hardcore. They have two kids 
and they're doing it. So we've got a lot going on today. We're going to talk about a lot. We're going to unpack a bunch of stuff, talk about building a business, really a a movement, what you guys are creating here, all from the road, what it's like to travel full time with school age kids, how to fully immerse yourself in a culture versus just passing through it. And of course, we're going to talk about travel destinations, mishaps, all those kind of good stories. But to get started, because you talked about, well, you just said, hey, this is our day. This is our normal life. And so it's all relative. What did normal life look like before this whole adventure that we're going to get onto and talk about what world towning it is and what your guys' mission is? But normal, normal life back back in the day, right? What what was that? What were you guys doing? Well, four years ago, essentially, we were living in in suburban Boston. Well, I guess Cambridge, Massachusetts. Cambridge, yeah. So, That's so know, hardcore, that guys. That's so <laughs> hardcore. They call it the People's they, Republic of Cambridge. Right. Because... So I think it is hardcore for Massachusetts. <laughs> See, we're, we've always been hardcore. I know, always. I know. We were taking the tea and we weren't using antiseptic gel. But And we had one car, right? <laughs> but I was working for a large bank out of Boston and I was going to work every day in a suit and tie and um And you had short hair? I had really short hair. Very corporate hair. I ran the Boston Marathon. I was super hip according to Bostonians at the time. Um, but we decided and that... I, and I worked from home. Yeah. I had a graphic design business. Um, and the two kids were in Avalon and Largo, were in an international school. Um, you know, for, I guess, for typical standards of Massachusetts, I guess it was kind of eccentric that they were in a French school. Um, and they had exposure to all kinds of different religions and cultures and the language. But I think for us, it seemed like a pretty typical, you know, I guess normal, I put kind of quotes around that lifestyle. And, and frankly, Travis, we didn't hate our life. Like we're not one of those stories of people that did they were like, oh, our life's so awful. We need to change. We need to do this. We always wanted to travel or live in another country. And we finally, after many, many, many years of trying to go through the expat corporate package route, we finally said, the heck with this. We're going to figure this out on our own. But we had great friends, a great community. Cambridge, Massachusetts is super pro- progressive. It's a melting pot of people from all over the world coming to the universities. You liked your job. I love my business. I mean, but we didn't. We were, we were typical in the sense that we were ships passing in the night. We didn't have a lot of time as a family or with our kids. And there was birthday parties and sporting events and all these commitments. And we just, we were going in four different directions, you know? So it was, it was very typical by what most people think of when they think of a typical American lifestyle. Yeah. I love that you guys mentioned that you didn't, you didn't hate your life. It wasn't a, we got to make a break before it's too late type thing. You said you just kind of came to the realization that, Hey, there's this other part that we've always wanted to do. And if we don't do it now, like, is there another time that we can do it? And when you when you came to that that thought process, right, was there a thought that, hey, maybe we'll just stick this out? Uh, stick it out makes you sound like you, you don't like it, but maybe we'll just continue down this path. And then in 5, 10, 15 years when we retire, that's when we'll get the bug out of our system. Like, was that a, a, a thought to you? I think we would have stayed in that path, but what happened was... We spent it, we, we, as a kind of as a compromise to not being able to go on a full expat package, we went and spent a summer in Paris. And I think that was, that destroyed us in a very good way. Like we re- we did this for seven and a half weeks, about seven and a half weeks. And we came back and said, we want this. Right. It's, like sim- it was, it, yeah. it's similar to, to that one time that you fly business class by accident. <laughs> and next thing you know, you're spoiled for life. That was us when we went to France. So at that point, you you went to France, but you were still working well. Like your company sent you over for the summer, and you were working remote. I assume Jessica. And, well, and- 
what happened was our kids already spoke French. And I said to Will, listen, they're getting older. We're going to get to a point where they're going to, they're going to refuse to go if they don't see this as part of their normal life and, and, and acceptable and something they enjoy. So since I worked from home already, I suggested that I would go there for the summer with them and I would try to manage You're such my a work. martyr. You're such a yeah, martyr. So I'm like, well, gosh, I have to go there for the summer. I know it's going to be awful and terrible, but I will do it for the sake of the family. But anyway, so when I proposed this, Will being the accountant said, well, I don't think we can afford that. And I was like, dude, you're telling me we can't afford it. I'm going to find a way. So I listed our apartment on Airbnb and I said, no piano lessons and no golf camp and none of this. And I presented it to Will in Excel spreadsheet because he really loves that stuff. It's good stuff. Yes. And I gave him a piece of chocolate. And he said, well, if you guys are going, I want to go. So he went to his company and said, my wife and kids are leaving me for the summer. Right. So I proposed (laughs) for them that I stay in France for maybe two weeks working there just so I can do a little remote work and then maybe take a week on the back end as a vacation. And I can spend three weeks in Paris while they're there for seven weeks. And, you know, lo and behold, my, my boss said, how long are you going to go there for? Or how long are they, they, are they going to be there for? And, you know, seven weeks, I said, just go and work there the entire time for seven weeks. So it was amazing. It was perfect. And not just that, but they flew me out there in business class and then they had to fly. And across. guess who rode underneath with the luggage? <laughs> so you really were the martyr at that point. I was. It, it totally was. flipped. You're like, I'm getting this. Will has to stay home, sucker. And there he is, front of the plane, looking back. Like, I know. Yeah, I'm I'll like, teach this you. This is my idea, dude. This is my idea. And you're kind of coming in at the last minute and taking the business class. Oh, exactly. there you go. Okay, so you, so you do seven weeks. What was that? Summer of what year were you? 13. Summer 13. You come back and you think, all right, in your words, you know, you're spoiled. You're like, that was so cool. Let, let's do it. What then happened in your in your mindset, in your process? Like, did you say, all right, let's make an Excel spreadsheet again and figure out if we can actually make this work? Or was it more, hey, we're going on our emotions. That was awesome. We're going to do this. No, we, at that point, we realized that, that t- the clock is ticking and, and we have to make this happen. At the time, now. our eldest was nine. Right. So our time with her was half over. And we knew that window of getting them to go and go willingly uh, was was very, very small. We actually decided before we left Paris that we really wanted to make this happen. So we started kind of putting the ball in motion. But we had that Excel. So, well, we had Google. Google right, we graduated Google Sheets. Google Sheets, because I'm not very good at Excel. So I was like, can we get a better program that's more user friendly for my kind of creative mind that doesn't do well with like numbers and lines and stuff? And so we late, we came back and we get, we see 12 months. We're out of here in 12 months. And we created this, we created it and we had categories and subcategories and we worked through everything. And it was really, really hard because I, I like to say to people, we were living in one world and maintaining this one world, but planning for another world. So living in two worlds at this, you know, almost living in two worlds at the same time, it was incredibly difficult. And often the time we got to focus on the planning wasn't until 9 p.m. at night. Right. Because when you work a demanding job, essentially you don't get home till late oftentimes and and time with the kids, homework, dinner, other responsibilities. And then we'd sit down on the couch and go, are you ready? And we'd look at each other and go, yeah, I'm ready. Uh huh. Just became, exhausted, yeah, right? it was like it was like you wanted to do it, but it was a drag because you had no energy. You had you couldn't have enthusiasm for it really because you were getting beaten down by the rest of the stuff that was happening. And that's what happens to a lot of people is that they want to go and they've even figured out the financial end of it, but the planning process is the thing that completely derails them because it, it's hard. It's hard. It's overwhelming. You have to sift through so much on, on the internet. Now, luckily, now you know nowadays there's things like, like your bundle that you're offering. There's all these resources out there that make kind of the research process a little bit easier. Our business is the same thing. You know, we do we help people get through this process. 
But at the time, there was even less. And it was really difficult because so many hours were spent doing research. And I hate to say wasting, but you don't, when you don't have that many hours, it feels like a waste, right? Yeah. I mean, if, if someone can help you get to the same end result much quicker, then that's always an awesome thing. And that's always an awesome service or product that they're providing because they've already done the hours of research. And so why should you recreate the wheel? You guys said you had a year, right? Or you, you planned on uh, prepping for this for this new life for a year. Did it take a year? Was it a, was it a year from when you came back to when you actually then decided to leave? It kind of had to be only a year because we wanted to put one of our kids in a local school in, in Costa Rica and we wanted them to finish out the school year. So, but would you say, would, could we have done it in less time? I mean, it I took so. us the I mean, year because we knew we had the year. Like you know? anything else, if you do it a second time, it'll be much easier. But I mean, we were battling a lot of things like, you know, we also had an active social life and we had kids and activities. And so when we say it was a year, it wasn't 365 days. You know, it was when we found time, we were scrounging it and sort of plugging it into. We sold all we, of our stuff. Right, I mean, right, right. We had like weekend trips to go skiing and, and so forth and so on. So, you know, if we had the opportunity, we'd take it. And if we weren't ready to pass out, then we, you know, do a little more. And then we had this marvelous thing happen just a couple months before we were going to launch. Will had an opportunity to go to India for work. And we were right at the tail end of all that planning where things were intense. But he said, they want me to go to India for two months. And he said, are you okay with that? I said, yeah, I can't wait to go. Well, the kids are packing our bags. And of course he wanted us to go. It's not that he didn't want us to go, but he's like, well, how are we going to plan everything? I'm like, I don't know. I'll figure it out. But we're going because he's got, you know, a hotel room on the company dime and we can stay in it. Now we couldn't eat the food and we couldn't use the laundry service. So obviously here we go. I'm seeing a pattern here, Travis, but... Will had his, his clothes pressed. The, gold, his, the golden boy there, right? Business right, class, right. really his, nice press suits. You guys are slumming it. I get it. His underwear is going to the dry cleaner, and the kids and I are, no joke, hand-washing our clothes in the sink every day and hanging them around the room. I'm like, how much kids can you eat at the breakfast buffet? Because it's free. It's got to cover two meals. Will's eating six meals a day. I'm bringing my leftovers home from lunch. and you know. <laughs> <laughs> It's true. He really was. <laughs> yeah, well, you're milking it for all it's worth at that point because you know, hey, as soon as we leave this life, like yeah. then it's all, all on us. Yeah. And so you went to India for, I mean, I guess so you kicked off your journey before you were planning on kicking off your your actual journey, you went to India two months. Then you came back and and For one had month a month to get left. everything situated. Yeah. One month and then we left. Yeah. What were the biggest obstacles? Because you said it was really tough and you had a year. What were the big things that stick out in your mind? Is like, man, this was really hard. Like, was it the financial side? Was it the deciding where to go? Was it the schooling? Like, what were the pieces that you're like, man, this this just took a long time to figure out and and wasn't that easy. All of the above, Travis. Okay. And that is what we always say to people. Do not do what Will and I did. Do not bite off more than you can chew, which Will and I constantly do over and over again. We just don't learn from our mistakes. And, you know, try to do as much as you can before you go. Because we pretty much did. Had, it was everything. But why don't I let you? Because I, mean, I know we, you. We planned to, I would say, to a T. Yeah. Everything that we needed to get done before we got there. And, and you know, like Jessica said, you know, don't bite off more than chew. And, and more, more than that, try and get everything squared away before you take off, which is sort of our big mantra. But beyond that, so we, when we walked out of the U.S., essentially, we felt like we, were, we had this thing covered. We totally did. We're like, we got it. We did everything. But when we got there, that's where the big wall just hit us. And we were yeah. just like, oh, my goodness, what have we walked ourselves into? Because there were a couple of things that we hadn't factored. And this is this is a really, really big one that no one thinks about. You're planning 
you're excited, you're on this high, and you think you're going to move to this place, for us was Costa Rica, and it's going to be rainbows and unicorns and monkeys and great coffee. And you get there and you look at each other and you go, well, what's going on? What's wrong with you? Why are you so cranky? And da, 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 and, and what? why can't the kids be homeschooled? It should be just easy, you know, because it's the emotional part. It's the emotional part that people don't think about because they just think it's going to be wonderful and beautiful because they've worked so hard to get to it. And for us, we had never homeschooled before. And you can read all the books and you can read all the pot listen to all the podcasts and the blogs, but until you're in the trenches of it, you don't know how it's going to be. That was a tough transition. Will and I had never worked from home together before. I need complete silence. Will is like clicking his fingers. He's singing. He's like, do 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 bop bop. And I'm like, ah. You know, it was, it was, all, it was just so, I feel like the planning process, even though it was time consuming and exhausting was not as traumatic as once we got there and we're like, oh my gosh, right. you know, change is hard. Yeah. Number one. So, yeah. you know, if you're changing your, your, your thought as to where you're going to live, that's, that's one thing, but actually executing it is, is one t entirely different thing. So we changed our location. We changed our work status. We changed our, the way we educate our kids. We changed the dynamic of our relationship. Because we had kind of certain established roles. And even though they weren't necessarily traditional roles, they were our roles. And we've flown like that for so long because I had been working from home for a decade and he had gone to an office. So we, we were just like, oh, my gosh, we could not understand each other's emotions. We couldn't understand the kids' emotions. We were like, but I never thought, oh, my God, what have we done? Let's go back. I'm the eternal optimist. Like the glass is broken into a million pieces on the floor and I'm still looking for the super glue thinking it's going to be fine. So I really felt like it's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. We can do this. You know, it, it'll all work out in the end. And I was not going to give up because I will fight till the end. But it was hard. It was hard. It was really hard. What was the original plan? Like you went to Costa Rica. Was there a time frame on it? Like when you guys first said, hey, we're going to launch. Did you say we're going to give it a year trial and we're only going to be in Costa Rica? Did you say we're, we're going to give it three months? Like what was the mindset going in originally of how long it was going to last and where you were going to go? Right. There was a public decree of what we're going to do <laughs> and what we knew inside what we're going to do. So okay. We, let's hear them both. We, this is great. We told everyone that it's just going to be a year and then- We'll see how it goes. We'll probably but come then they back. were like, "Why are you selling all your stuff? Oh, we'll just buy new stuff when we come back." Right, but it's old inside, anyway. Whatever. We don't need it. Inside, we knew that we are done. We're gone. We're gonna go ahead and try and give this thing, you know, the the best effort that we can because I don't see how this can be a bad thing. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, you're. Yeah, because I think if you, I think if you tell people, I've, I've heard this. Throughout 350 podcasts or whatever, it always comes back to like people like, oh, I told my parents or my – not usually their spouse. I guess that would be bad. It's only yeah. going to be a year. But <laughs> I told my parents or my friends, my family, it's only going to be this. But in my head, I was pretty sure it was going to be this. And then it always ends up being the, the longer-term one. What about the kids? Like what was – were they bought into the idea of like, hey, this is going to be indefinite? Or did they kind of think, let's give it a year and try it out? Travis, we have been telling them for almost a decade before that we were going to go travel. Okay, so when, that's how when, I got to do it, right? I got to, he's six yeah. months. So if I start in his year now, hey, you're going to, we're going to go around the world. We're going to travel. You're going to lead an unconventional life. He'll start to pick up on it. Right, right. Because we, I mean, with us, they started to almost doubt it was going to happen. We tried to go live in Madrid and it, it almost happened. It, it so almost happened. We had pre preschool registration done. We were signing a lease on an apartment and it's not relevant why it didn't work out, but 
I was pregnant with Largo at the time. And when we left, he was almost seven. So they had been, and we had been tr trying this for different, different in, from living in two different states, many different countries, two different companies. So they kept hearing, we're going to go travel, we're going to go travel, we're going to go travel for so long. Now, when we left, they were still, I, I think anyone can travel with kids at any age. It just becomes a little more difficult if you introduce it to them and they've never done, done it before when they've kind of have a really established normal and they're a bit older and they formed a certain type of a social environment and they're not used to that their social being, um, a more eclectic type of social. So they, they bought, they, they'd been bought, they bought it for the longest period of time. Um, and when we went, it was very easy. Now they were still, our daughter had just turned 10 and our son was almost seven. So they were still pretty little and they thought this is exciting. This is going to be great. We could have, I have to be honest, I wouldn't have done it if they were against it. Um, I know there are some parents that do it. Um, uh, if they, one of them was adamantly against it, I don't think we could have done it because, we don't want them to ever look back on their childhood as we screwed it up. Now, I'm sure we're screwing something up. We're not perfect. We're definitely screwing something up. Um, but I didn't want it to be, you screwed up my entire life by traveling, right? Um, and to this day, we still we still have that same, same philosophy. If at any point, either one of them said, I can't do this anymore. And of course, they have days. We all have days where we're like, oh, I don't like this. But if it became a consistent theme in the family for months at a time, we would reevaluate and find, come up with a compromise. But we don't tell them that fact that too often. Yeah. Right. We I mean, you don't. Uh, hey, we're guys, not going to tell them. <laughs> yeah. If you have three frowny face days in a row, we're going home. Right. right? It's like, no, no, no. But um, what we've done is we've given them a choice in this, Travis. So they get to vote. So when we left Ecuador to come to Europe, we let them pick between France and Spain. I mean, we didn't give them every country. We gave them two countries. We wanted Spain. They wanted France. They both picked France. We pulled them separately. And then we let them pick between two locations in France. And, and the we're reason, secretly happy that we went to France. Yeah. we Yeah. And, and we're in the RV because of them. Because, you know, living in an RV is like every child every child's dream and every parent's nightmare, right? So It's still you know. my dream. I think I'm more of a child than a parent at this point. I'm only six <laughs> months in because I'm still like, let's do it. <laughs> let's dump the poop. Yeah. You guys mentioned that you told everyone it was going to be a year, friends, family, stuff like that. What was the feedback generally from, from your social group? Was it like, yeah, you can do it, support it? Was it like, doubting you and and if it was what did you do to kind of get past that because i know for a lot of people that can be a huge obstacle is that no one else in their real life really understands it even if they're like oh that's cool they're not they don't inherently get it they're not excited they're not like oh you can do it they're like whoa that's a little weird so we generally got like two different sides of the story so there's a question of what are you doing with your career yeah. And then what are you doing as a parent? And, uh, what are you doing with your career? And oh, by the way, we think you're cre creating career suicide. Right. And what are you doing as a parent? Oh, by the way, you're really screwing up your kids. However. No, not everyone was, had that opinion. No, it was, I honestly, I'm, I would really honestly have to be honest and say it was a, such a small percentage that actually objected or voiced their concern or opinion in a negative way for us doing it. Almost all the response we got was, now I don't know what they said behind our back, but almost all the response we got was, that's so cool. I wish I could do it, you know, and, and these are all, you know, all people that could probably do it, but people don't believe they can do it. Right. So we, I think we had, I think we had a very supportive, um, group of people surrounding us. Will and I, before we left the U S have lived all over the U S. So we have kind of a very eclectic group of friends. We don't only have friends that are, um, you know, married with heterosexual married. Right. White picket kids, friends right. outside of Boston. Right. This is who right. lives in my development, whatever. And our friends are pretty eclectic. 
Um, and they run the gamut. And I think they're just used to us kind of doing things kind of our own way and, and not necessarily, you know, going the way that everyone else goes. I always I say to Will, we are like 99% what people would consider normal and acceptable, but we always had that. We, I'm, I'm sorry, 99% not what most people consider normal and acceptable. We got that. We always had that one little toe or finger in normal, <laughs> right. right? You know what I'm saying? So people kind of expected it from us. I just, I don't think they expected us to, to not come back to you. I, I, <laughs> Let's put it this way: We were we were in Morocco like three weeks ago, and and we actually hit a part of our trip while we were there. We were there for seven weeks, and we said, "What ha- what would happen if we just kept going south, like kept going yeah. towards South Africa?" And and we actually stopped for a day and thought about thought about it because we, we really we were really enjoying it because the experience we got while we were in Morocco was just uh, mind blowing, and and the thought of going back to Europe where it's Still, just a traditional Western culture. Yeah. Um. You know, it it didn't it didn't really satisfy us anymore. But you know, and if we were to if we were to actually do that and, and actually pull that off, our friends would be like, "There they go again." Yeah. Right. Like <laughs> like right, it's right. not. It kind of you just keep working up different levels. Like, and I think that's a really interesting point that you made there, Will. And I've seen it happen in my travel lifestyle where when I was younger and didn't travel a lot, all I want to do was go to Spain, Italy. France. You know, I wanted to go to Western Europe because I grew up on the East Coast and that's closest, somewhat exotic place. And then, you know, then we moved to Japan and all of a sudden I'm like, whoa, now I'm in Asia. This is way different. And so even to me, like going to Europe, I love it. I, I'll go back all the time. It's super fun. But there are times where I feel it's a little bit not again, stale is not the right word, but it's not as exciting to me sometimes as it had been previously. And I understand why, because I've, I've seen a lot. And so you kind of build up your travel muscle a bit and, and the way you want to travel. And I think then in other people's heads, they see that they're like, Oh yeah, well, I don't, I I'm used to him going off and doing this. It's just another, yeah. Like you said, well, there you go again, right? It's no big deal. What we actually have, I think, one of uh, one of our favorite countries in Europe. I have, think happens to be one of yours as well, which is Slovenia. Definitely, one hundred percent. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Love we it. love that country. Yeah. We, we absolutely love it. Absolutely love it. I think. I think honestly, I mean, you're, I, I I think it's true. Like you start to get you you up the ante, right? Um, and for us, and you know, I think we. We, we came back from Morocco. We were a little bit depressed. It's only been like a week and a half, but we were like, wow, we really miss, we miss that. We miss, Will and I are most comfortable outside of our comfort zone and we really thrive on that. However, what, what we always say to people is, you know, do what feels right for you. And if you're just starting out, don't feel like you have to go to India for a month, right? Go what. <laughs> Go yeah, where, I've whatever. done that. D- definitely, you know? maybe don't do that. Don't even feel like you have to. But if you start traveling, yeah, throwing someone in the fire of like India or my buddy who hadn't traveled in 15 years went to China and we had, uh, if anyone listens to podcasts, you know, napkins. Uh, we had a heroin. Like we were fine. He was not digging it at all because it's it's overwhelming. It's crazy. It's way, way, way different. And it, I'm sure he would have had a great time in Austria or France, right? But China was a little too much. I think it's important to stack the cards in your favor and not not be disappointed like, oh, well, I'm only going to Costa Rica and it's very Western. There's a lot of people from my home country there. It's not really traveling. It really is traveling. You know, whatever works for you so that you can continue this and make it work, I say go for it. Will and I broke all the rules we said we would never do when we moved to Costa Rica. It's the first country we went to. Kids are never going to McDonald's. We must have been at McDonald's every day for a month because our Wi-Fi wasn't working. And we were like, we just need something to not make us want to kill ourselves. 
you know, so you got to just do what works for you. You know what I'm saying? I mean, people, people get so judgy of other people. That's not really traveling or that's not really traveling. You know, if you're getting out of your comfort zone and you're seeing something new and learning, then that is traveling, you know? I, yeah, I always say there's no wrong way to travel because people come up and say, Oh, I'm I'm taking a cruise, but you wouldn't want to do that. I'm like, no, I, hell yeah, I'd want to take a cruise. Like, I've never <laughs> been on a cruise, actually. You know, oh, but I'm only going to the Caribbean. I'm like, that's a, that's awesome. Like, and then you go there, and maybe then you push your comfort zone and you go somewhere else, and and then maybe you take an, you know a solo trip after doing a group yeah. travel, whatever it is. Just yeah, you dip your toe, and you said you were one percent in in the normal bucket. I would say dip your toe into the world of travel, however comfortable you feel. And that'll lead you to doing more, 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 more. And if you are someone who just wants the craziest part of it, then dive in. I mean, yeah. you'll learn quickly uh, what oh, you yeah. like and don't like, <laughs> but it, it certainly happens. Now, when you guys went and you told everyone a year and, and well, you mentioned like uh, committing career suicide and stuff, was there any type of backup plan, even though you thought, hey, this is, this is going to be our life. We're, we're pretty committed to this in our heads and we know we want to do it. Was there anything that you put in place that said, but if something goes wrong or if we don't really like it, this is kind of what we're going to come back to. We, we didn't necessarily think that we were not going to like it. We, the question was going to be more so is how can we sustain it? Right. And, and that was, yeah, that was the big thing for us. And so, you know, we have, we had before we, we left for, for Costa Rica, um, we have a couple of properties which we rent out. And so we rent them out either through long-term rentals or through Airbnb. Um, and so we said to ourselves, well, if we can't sustain it, what's the worst that can happen? Either number one, we go back and we resume our normal life, which we didn't want to do. Or number two, we sell a property. And, and so, you know, and that's the last thing any property owner wants to think about, especially when they went through all the hard work of actually setting up and making sure that sort of rented out and it's all glorious. But you know what? The fact that you do have options is, is what made it actually plausible for yeah, us. Yeah. And I, we, we, we had the, we had equity in the properties and they had positive income from rentals. And we knew that if we needed to, we could do that. But for me, for me, like uh, besides travel and, and my children and will real estate is like right up there with my loves. So to part with something would take a lot. Um, but luckily we didn't, we didn't ever come to that point. Um, when we left, Will, the company Will was working for would not let him work remotely. So he said, okay, I'm leaving. So we had my design income in Costa Rica, which we could survive, survive on, but it's still an artist income and it's volatile. And, um, you know, we didn't want to just survive. We wanted to be able to save for retirement and, and university and, you know, do some big trips. Yeah, you know, you like wanted the normal part of life. Just like you wanted all that too, right? You weren't saying I want to sacrifice like, I don't want to be 70 and still be having to slave away at a job. I want to set myself up for the future, but I also want to be able to lead this life that I want to right now, which is exactly where I am. You want your cake and you want to eat it too, right? Of course. Right, 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 right. Yeah. I mean, who doesn't, right? Well, why you not to- too, if you can figure it out, right? Right. You just have to believe that it's possible at the end of the day. I mean, there's, there's a lot of people who go out there and say, well, the universe just conspires for you if you just put out your best effort. And there's a lot of truth in that. I mean, you know, like anything else, you know, you can't just sit there and wait for the world to come to you and say, I'm going to give you the best day ever uh, just because you're a nice guy. You know, you have to put in the effort. And if you do that, yeah, I mean, is it the world conspiring for you or is it just hard work paying off? And at the end of the day, it's hard work paying off. Yeah. And so you you had your design income, Jessica. And then, Will, what was your plan? Like, were you looking for remote freelance work that you could do as an accountant? Yeah, essentially. Uh, well, for two months, he had a mental breakdown. No, I'm just kidding. 
<laughs> I did. I did. Not, enough, never, not enough spreadsheets in your life. He had never not not been working before, and he loves to work, so it was really stressful on him. I mean, it was really. I'm not poking fun at him. It's just it was really, really stressful, and that's one of the emotional things that I'm saying people need to think about before they go. If you have a partner that needs to be working all the time, or they start to go crazy, you need to factor that in. And I'll let you tell your yeah, story. Yeah, no. There. And when we got to Costa Rica, essentially, um, we didn't necessarily start looking for jobs right away for myself because we were getting into that, getting adjusted to our new life mode and trying to like stop freaking out. Um, and when we got there, I was only I was the only one in the family who spoke Spanish. Yeah. So I had to be the one to translate everything in every single uh, transaction that we did. Now, whether it's going to the school and registering our kid for schooling because we car. had one kid that's still going to a regular school. Uh, buying a car or medical appointments, um, I had to be the one to manage that whole. He knows everything thing. about OBGYN medical terminology. <laughs> I now don't in recommend it, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> not one of your shiny moments. <laughs> no, it's it's not great when when you're going with your wife to have her her OBGYN appointment and the doctors are looking at you while he's looking at her and he's talking to you about soccer. <laughs> That's. I'm like, shouldn't your focus be somewhere else, like like on her? <laughs> yeah, great chat, Doc. Let's do this at the bar later, but uh, for right now. Yeah. <laughs> Let's focus. I didn't want to be here in the first place, and the last thing I want to do is talk about soccer with you. <laughs> right. So so you had this – I mean, you were basically the, the, the one person that was holding everything together when it came to any daily life transactions or anything that you had right. to do. And and I knew that sort of I did have to find a job because yeah. you know I, I you know earning an, an income would actually be a good thing, <laughs> uh, so you know eventually I, I found time to I did a couple of things. Number one, I reached out to every contact I ever knew uh, through LinkedIn and so forth and so on. Send out letters saying, oh by the way, I'm not crazy. I just moved to Costa Rica and <laughs> and I want to you know work with you remotely, even though I'm in Central America. And we have Wi-Fi and running water here. Right. <laughs> and that that that. That received a response of, you know, hey, great for you, but, you know, sorry. And then essentially I started reaching out on, you know, on online forums. Um, uh, the actual online website that I used that that helped me out immensely and I found a ton of leads was called flexjobs.com. Uh, they, they are amazing. And, and you know, there's more leads for an accountant there than, than you want to even think about. So, you know, within two weeks of sending out resumes, through flexjobs.com, uh, I was working full time and it was fantastic. And then the best part, what yeah. happened after six months? Uh, my old job came back. Really? Yes. Yeah, like so the, the one that you quit to move to Costa Rica for? Yeah. I mean, after six months, um, they came back and they just said, you know what? Um, maybe it's not so bad if you're somewhere else because maybe you can focus more when you're not in the office. Um, and so his same U.S. salary. And, and so I, I, I assume you jumped on that opportunity then. Uh, yeah. 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 Okay. Awesome. And we, had, and we had cut our expenses by about 70% at that point. So that was a really, really good income for living in Costa Rica. And that continued for two years. Two years. Yeah. Two years. Until they said, we want you back in the office. And then. Like, why the pivot on their part? If you had done it for two years. And it you was had just done a, it well, a corporate change. Yeah. Essentially. Okay. So nothing. He wasn't the only one affected. Okay. Yeah. There's All a lot right. Of other so you did that for two years and you were working remote. Now, how did you guys first decide to go to Costa Rica? And then what spawned off that? Like, give us a little bit of the timeline because you left, am I right, 2014? Summer of we left in 2014, October. Yeah. So give us a timeline up until now of like what, what you've actually done with like the world towning and why you ended up going where you did. 
so we actually wanted to go to Guatemala initially. And we, we did something that I don't consider one of our smartest moves. Uh, but we went perfect, online perfect. and did research and got scared. And we should not have because one of our good friends was living there. Um, you know, I don't know how long Jen was living there, three to six months a, a, a year. And she said, it's perfectly fine. It's safe, whatever. But she was living at the lake and we were going to live in Guatemala City and put one of our kids in a Spanish and French school. And we just got, we just got scared by what we read online. And we at the at the I don't remember exactly what point it was, but I think maybe four or five months before we were supposed to launch, we changed countries. And Costa Rica was really, really great for us in the sense of, like I said, set, you know, stack the cards in your favor. It was very Western. It was very recognizable. Um, you know, he could speak the language. Um, it really worked for our first year. However, when we decided to entertain where we would go our second year, we wanted something a little more culturally rich um, and we wanted to kind of up the bar a bit. So something less expensive and richer in culture. And that's why. But we wanted to stay in a Spanish speaking country and we had never even been to South America. So we kind of just went. Um, people say Quito, Ecuador is cool. And the amount of research that went into that second country, Travis, was very, very little. At the time, for those two years, Will went back with the company. He was traveling about what, how much? 50% of the time? Around there. So he was gone a lot. Um, I was still working as a designer and managing one kid in homeschooling that was still pretty new to it. So it was it was a lot of work. Um, and we did, I don't know, I mean, very little research. Will went like online to compare the cost of tomatoes in Costa Rica compared to Ecuador and said, okay, it's less expensive. We'll go there. They had the French school. Um, we reached out on a couple face expat Facebook groups asking questions and we decided that's where we're going. I mean, is anything else you think we should add about that decision? That's no, I mean, we, we knew what three months being into Costa Rica that we wanted to go someplace else if we were going to continue yeah. this lifestyle. And um, I mean, we didn't know at that point that we we're going to try and do this shift every every year like we've been doing. But, you know, this this was, the, I guess, the, the spawn of that. But we were one thing we realized is that Costa Rica is, you know, it's the most expensive Central American country out there. And it's because there's a lot of American expats that, that go there and sort of call it, call it home to live off Social Security. And so a lot of things are overinflated in terms of prices. And compared to what we saw when we went to Guatemala to go visit uh, some friends that we realized that, you know what, life could be so much less expensive. We can actually do this on less than what we have now and get a richer experience and get a better experience if we change locations. And that's when the start of going to Quito began. Yeah. And and so I read a couple of blog posts and like Jessica said, you know, people like to get the idea of going to Quito. So I looked at the comparison of the prices and the, the thought that, you know, you could live on about 65% of what you can live on in Costa Rica, which still is not all that expensive. Um, that was, for me, the tipping point. I mean, once again, I'm, I'm an accountant. So, right. you give, know. Give you the, the numbers, yeah. man. Give you the numbers. Yeah. If the bottom line works better, I'm, I'm all in. And then after that, we wanted to hit Europe um, and kind of check out Europe with the kids. And I and we didn't do much research in that area either. We just said, you know, I mean, once you've kind of done the initial stuff, like figured out your banking and figured out your 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 um, mail and all that kind of stuff, the initial hard work and figured out your medical insurance, it doesn't change from country to country. That virtual stuff stays the same. So the work of moving from country to country really is is not that tasking as it was it is when you first make the leap. So for Europe, we decided we're going to let the kids decide 
they're old enough now. We're going to put it, you know, put it to a vote. We're going to individually ask them so they don't get influenced by each other. We picked Spain and France because we spoke languages in the in both of them, and we thought they both had a, a cool enough, interesting culture. Um, and so they picked it. And then they picked the city. We gave them two cities. We gave them Yeah, and we gave Montpellier, two very different ones, more smaller city, and one's a very big college city. And they picked the smaller one. And that's how that's how we ended up there. And then we told them they always wanted to go and travel in an RV. Always. And we always told them when we get to the point where we figured out that we can work remotely and continue this lifestyle, we will entertain that because buying a rig is expensive. And, you know, it's and living in an RV is is hard. Like Will always says, it's not the most efficient way to live. It is probably one of the least efficient ways to live. So we knew that we would be taking on a lot more responsibility and work. And they have chores and stuff, but it's still and we also knew we'd be moving into a really small space. Right. I was going to say that's to me seems like the biggest issue would be, hey, I, I mean, those places that you were in Costa Rica, Quito and then in France. I assume you had houses or apartments, right? Like a yes. Were they typical sized, like three bedroom yeah. type places? Normal two bedroom apartment. Two bedroom, three bedroom, two bedroom. Okay, so so enough like for a family of four to live in somewhat comfortably, yeah. and now you're smushing all that into uh, I don't know how big it is twenty six foot, thirty foot. Um, twenty one no, and a half. Twenty one and a half. Oh, excuse me, twenty one and a half. Don't forget that half. Oh, uh, twenty <laughs> one and a half RV. So you did, you did just to catch everyone up. Then you did a year Costa Rica. Knew you knew you weren't going to be there forever. Year in keto, wanted to go to Europe. Year in France, and then you decided, hey, we're ready to take on this RV adventure. Well, each place was a little less than a year. So Costa Rica was twelve months. I think Ecuador was ten. France was nine. Okay. We get the itch to move around six months. Okay. And so part of the reason of going in the RV was that the kids wanted to move faster. Is they really want to move faster, and the reason we had spent you know, as uh, you know, nine to 12 months in the first three locations is that we kept our youngest in a traditional French and Spanish school the first two years. And then the third year he was just, excuse me, he was in a French school and then his sister wanted to try public school in France as well. So gotcha. our so life based and how on long, this cal uh, school calendar, basically. Exactly. Exactly. Or we, we would have, after Costa Rica, we realized a year was too long in a spot. We would have probably right at that point gone to about six, six to eight months. On the on the on the flip side of that, I, up to a year gives you a really good amount of time to form community, and um, that was always a big thing with us is making local friends. And we actually did a, an amazing job of doing that. I mean, we we've left every location with a core set of friends that we can come back to and say, "Man, I miss living there." And they're and they're they're local, so we actually integrate into the local culture and make friends. And for us, you know, there's probably people listening to this go, well, "How do they do that?" We are. I myself particularly, I'm super aggressive, almost to a point that people might think, who is this crazy lady? Because the kids are not in school maybe a couple of weeks, and I send an invitation into school to everyone in the class and invite them to a party at our house. Regardless of whether we speak the language or not. Regardless Even of whether we speak the language. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So we sit there having a bit of a panic going, oh my gosh. Will's like, what if what if everyone in Ecuador comes and none of them speak English? And I'm, I was Spanglishy at the time. I still kind of am. And he was like, oh, I'm going to have to translate for everyone. You know, it's going to be kind of crazy. Um, but it works out every time, every single time. It, it, you know, some people come and you never see them again. Other, And then you form friends with the ones you really connected with. And it changes, in my opinion, we didn't do this in Costa Rica um, because we were just trying to survive and not drown. You know, um, we didn't have the capacity to entertain in large groups. Um, it was, it was the best decision we've made with traveling. It instantly gives us friends, our kids, friends. We get to learn about the local culture. People are so warm and welcoming and just, they want to teach you 
they appreciate that you want to learn about their culture and they want to teach you. And it, it's been amazing. And we've met up with these friends all over the world. They travel to see us Would we see them. Um, it's, it's just been marvelous. I can't, I can't, I can't stress enough how enriching it is, even if it's often uncomfortable to come way out of your comfort zone and say, Hey, I'm having a party at my house and no one I personally know is coming. Right. Yeah, it's scary. That's crazy. And, but I think that is, I think that's why you build those bonds so strong is that uh, they realize that like everyone who's there realizes these people are new to this town. Maybe they've lived there all their life and they've never had a party with people over there sitting there thinking that's pretty courageous. Like you instantly recognize that that bond, like that courage and that kind of, hey, they're out of their comfort zone. And I think that then endears you to people because you're doing something that maybe they would be scared to do. And then there are others are probably thinking, I hope they don't chop me up and put me in a box and whatever. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> and, and there's probably others who are like, hey, free food. This is cool. I'll come. Uh, right, right. Free alcohol. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, it was funny because in France, when we did this, there was one woman. And in France, it was so cool because there were people that came that didn't speak a lick of English. Now, luckily, we had a couple neighbor friends that we had become friends with and they translated and stuff. But it was just amazing because I consider that so brave, you know, just to come and know that the people you're going to, you don't, you, you guys can't speak a common language. But one woman said to me, is this typical American? Because this is, you just have parties, invite people you don't know. And I go, I don't know if it's typical American, but it's typical our family, but, you know? But the, the insane part about this is that when we had everyone over for the first party, the French liked to be served. So we, we brought out the wine, we had everything else, we had champagne, and we just sat, we, we laid we it out know there. This. And we And when everyone came in, we, you know, what can I get you? No we offered them a glass and whatever it was. And then once the glass was empty, they didn't refill their own glasses. And I'm like, what are you guys they not, con not they consider They consider it rude. But Will was like, why isn't anyone drinking? What's going on? And then our friend Julie said, oh, no, that they would not go serve themselves. They would consider that, you know, very rude to go just take like that. Right. You need to take it to them. I'm like, give me the wine. You know, here, I'm coming. I'm coming. So I walked around the party with a red and a white underneath my arm like the whole time. So I'm like, people, you got to, you know, they drank after that. And, and towards the end, they were kind of used to our American ways. We're like, you know what? There's 40 people here. You got to go get your own liquor. There's plenty of it, but you got to get it yourself. So right. but it was you, funny. Your American ways. It's like forced drinking, right? You're like, although actually that's probably even more prevalent in the countries that we've gone through, especially in Europe. Like talk about forced drinking. You're like, you're like, oh, I don't want a glass of wine with dinner. People are like, no, 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 this doesn't fly. Like you got to have a I glass know. of wine. No, you got to have five glasses of wine. Um, with you guys, you've talked about schooling, and that's a really obviously an interesting point and one that I think a lot of people who would be interested in doing this, that's like a huge obstacle or fear is, well, what about my kids going to school? You have the career for the parents, and then you have the schooling for the kids. Talk a little bit about the decision to homeschool some and also then put your children or one of your children in an international school or in a local school. So Will was educated for all boys Catholic school, and I went to public school in rural Maine. I'm still in therapy for that. <laughs> we had no idea what we were doing, Travis. No idea. I saw it online. I thought, oh, this looks fun. But I was like, how are we going to learn how to do this? I don't even really know what it means. And just through the internet and whatnot, we just researched like mad and connected with people and read and listened and read some more and connected with people some more. And we just kind of figured it out. I would not say we're perfect at it, but we, we figured we figured out what we wanted. Now, we we always knew that we wanted them to be able to grow up authentically. 
Um, and we're not anti-traditional brick and mortar school. We just felt that there were a lot of restrictions in that environment that would not allow, you know, for traveling, they really needed, they we really need to have more flexible schedule. And we wanted something where they learn to manage their own time. Um, we do follow a U.S. curriculum. Um, but we build, we build it ourselves. So we build, we don't just purchase it in a box from one school. We build it from different schools, according to the child, their level and interest in the subject. And then they manage it. Our, our son doesn't manage it as much as our daughter, cause he's only in his first year of it, but our daughter manages it completely on her own. She meets with her teachers. Um, some classes are on Skype with tutors. Some are in zoom with kids all over the world and they can see each other. Some are self-paced. Some are out in the world in the communities that we that we're traveling to. Now, with our son, we decided to put him in an international French and Spanish school for the first two years, and then a French public school for the third year because our our personal thing is we wanted to get their French to a certain level, and so for us, we wanted them to be in a French school until the end of fourth grade. Okay, so he did the first three years in a in either international schools or the public school. So he was in a brick and mortar school while your daughter, who was older was homeschooling the entire time from the beginning until we got to France and then okay. she no, 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 no. But from the beginning of our life, no, she went to an or, international French school I mean, until the beginning yeah. of Costa Rica, the beginning of this. Okay. Yes. Of yes the sorry. new life. Yeah. <laughs> so she was homeschooling <laughs> the beginning of new life. And then you went to France for two years. And then in France, she actually went to a public school as well. She raised yeah. her hand to us and said, you know what? I'm ready to go back to regular wow. school and give this thing a try. And she wanted to go. She wanted to be homeschooled. So that's why we did it. Will and I were like, ah, oh my gosh, it sounds so hard. But she wanted to do it. So we did the research and we, and we, and we did it and she loved it. Um, but then she thought, well, maybe I'm missing something in middle school. I want to have a locker and change classrooms. And she did it in France. And I mean, I think if you ask, if you ask her, she would say, I'm never going back to traditional school, but she didn't have a bad experience. Like she, she made good friends. Um, she learned a lot. Um, she learned a lot about bureaucracy which was really great. Um, you know, she learned important a lot about lesson how, how in life. it is a very important lesson and we would not be RVing if they both didn't want to be homeschooled. So we gave up obviously after that, that year or partway through that year, we said, this is what we want to do next. But do you guys want to be homeschooled? Cause if you don't, we need to come up with another plan. And they both wanted to be homeschooled. Right. And our youngest who had never been homeschooled, he was super excited because he saw how our daughter had all this free time and she, you know, he, he basically wanted all in on that. And, so, yeah. And he, he has a little more difficulty sitting still in a chair. So often he'll be reading and he'll read upside down in a chair or he'll read with his feet out the window. Or sometimes he'll have like his onesie bear pajamas on all day. So he likes the, the flex, the flexibility of it. And if at any point they decide either one of them, well, I really want to go back to brick and mortar. I want to try this. Then we sit, we'll sit down as a family and discuss it because we, we really don't want to force this, um, any of it. You know, we want this and they like it so far and really enjoy it and have no desire to go back to our other life. Um, and we want we obviously don't want to stop. But right, if right. that, you know, if that if that became something they were unhappy, we would we would sit down and we would talk about it as a family for sure. What is the plan then with the RV? So how long have you been in the RV and what is does that have an expiration date where you guys are like, all right, we're giving the RV one year or X amount of months? Or is that just open ended? Like we're just going to keep going around until one of us or multiples of us decide that this isn't working. So we hopped in the RV in July of 2017. So, so almost a year. Almost a year ago. Can't with, believe it. With a plan of seeing every country in Europe for a two-year period. 
Now that is That's what we're determining at this point to be an overly <laughs> ambitious. Goal. Oh, so you, okay. So you mean every country in Europe? Oh, over two years, you'd go to every country in Europe. So whatever, yeah. fifty. I don't know. I, it how depends. Many are there? It, it depends on how. It's funny because it depends on how you define Europe. Sure. Yes. Because there's a Wikipedia version, and then there is what you biblical? ask a European version. Uh, Wikipedia subscribes to the to the biblical version, saying that anything west of the Ural Mountains is considered Europe. Therefore, Georgia, uh, Azerbaijan, and Armenia are still considered Europe. But if you ask any European, they'll be like, there's no, no way. way. Like, Europe ends at Istanbul. I, I love that. That's so funny because when we were in Georgia, same thing. I'd ask, favorite country in the world, we're in Georgia. It's awesome. You definitely got to check it out. Whether you're in an RV or not, that's up to you. But... I'd be like, well, where are like where are you guys? And some would be like, oh, well, we're Central Europe or this. And I'm like, but you're so far east of Istanbul, which when you cross over that bridge, it's the difference between Asia and Europe. I'm like this doesn't make sense. Like, yeah, we don't really know. We did like some would say like Eastern Europe, some would say Central Europe, some would be like kind of Asia. I don't know. We're halfway in Russia, and I'm just like, yep. It's just that's a funny part of the world that. Doesn't but really... so we've decided we'll just do it all, and then no well, one can question it, right? That's right. We just we've done right, <laughs> but but then Cyprus is part of Europe just because it's part of the European Union, and it's way east. It's sort of it's south of Turkey, right? And, and and so you know I don't know. You you throw your hands up in the air and say um, I'm going to go see it because it's beautiful, and then we'll see how it goes. I think are we on? We were talking about today. Are we on the three year plan? Is that what we think it's going to take two and a half to three years? I don't know. It keeps changing every day. So and it gets longer. I assume right? like you've spent. You were you are extending it because you've spent more times in places than fast traveling through. Yeah, and because we're working, and you know, I mean, I'm I'm we're not the four hour work week. I wish I could tell people we are. We work a lot of hours, and I aspire to be that, but we're not. Um, so we work a lot of hours, and the kids go to school. So really, we're we're in all actuality, we're only seeing stuff probably two days a week, like out and doing stuff in the communities and learning and adventuring. And then there's usually a travel day there as well. So it's not like we're spending two years, 365 days, you know, a year, which makes it challenging in, in, in many parts and just discouraging sometimes, but also look, we're doing this. I mean, it's great, but we don't, we don't want this to be five years in the RV because we have other plans of things that we want to do with the kids before our eldest goes to university. And that clock is ticking because she's almost, she'll be 14 this summer. Wow. What are you what are some of the places that you ended up staying longer in the RV? Like Morocco. countries. Okay. Yeah, although it's not Europe. I was going to say. Yeah, so, say yeah, yeah. so you do seven weeks. That's why we're you can't. sabotaging ourselves yeah, in the that's, beginning. Right. That's why you're never going to make it. You're like, oh, we're going to hit every European country, but we'll do seven weeks in yeah. a country that is not considered Europe. Okay. This is this kind of touches Europe. This is on the continent next to Europe. Right. This right. Is... Okay. <laughs> so you did seven weeks in Morocco in the RV. And then occasionally we have we have setbacks. Like for example, the the to, our in our toilet, the flushing handle to open it, which is very necessary, broke, and we could not get into a place to repair it. But it happened to be while we we're in Munich during Oktoberfest, so it didn't hurt that bad. Didn't hurt that bad. But we were three weeks there when we would have only normally probably stayed a week. Yeah. You know, and often. Um, 300 because, liters of beer later, right? Yeah. Right, right. Well, it's like, I don't, they called the toilet flush still. The handle's not in still. It's so Who weird. Knew? It hasn't Who arrived. Knew? Let's right? go back to the tents. <laughs> I think they've got one over in the uh, half brow tent. Oh, no, it's yeah. the low and brow tent. Nah. Yeah. I've been there. It's, it's a great time. Um, it is a great time. It is a great time. So, all right, you're in the RV. Now, and I've got a few RV questions, and I want to talk about how other people can do this, because if they're listening, they're like, all right, these guys have a cool story, but I, I want to do this as well. But with the RV, 
what is the plan like? How much planning are you doing before you get to a place? Where are you staying? Just those kind of general RV questions that an RV nerd like me, who is dying to do this now, the the child in me, um, how much are you planning it out? And and where are you staying? What are you kind of doing with the RV? I'm so embarrassed to admit this, but Will and I have a philosophy that we tell the truth no matter what. We do hardly any planning. It's okay. not. Um, it's not. It's not on. It's not on purpose. I mean, you're we in don't, good company don't here. I mean, my my son is going to Budapest tomorrow, and we just got his ticket today. So, talk about I'm, no planning. Right, and you know, sometimes people give us flack. Like, what do you mean you didn't? You know, check this out or that. We are, like I said before, we work so much and we're schooling that often we get into a place. And we're doing research about it the night before at midnight. And we're going to get up and go see stuff at 7 or 8 the we're, next We're morning. driving into the country and we, we're yelling at the kids in the back. Hey, get go, on Wikipedia. Go find a documentary on, on Portugal because we got to know what we're going to see. Now, we were not always like this. I was neurotic. When we were in places for 9 to 12 months, I would plan neurotically what we were going to go see. And documentaries and read books. We still read a book about something taking place in the country before we get to it now. But I was I had it all like just all laid out. But because we're moving so fast now, because we started our business a year ago, our situation is a little different and we work a lot. So we make the best with what we have, which means we do the best we can under the circumstances, but we don't, we really, really don't plan a lot. And we were just talking the other day and I said to Will, I really would love to hire a travel planner. You know, someone that knows our travel style and what we like to see and how we don't like to do super touristy things and plan it out for us. You know, so that when we get to a place, we can feel comfortable doing our work, educating our kids and then go out and see stuff and not have to put all the research into it. Because often what happens is we see something interesting we want to do, but it's a night before we're going to be adventuring and we can't get a hold of anyone to kind of get some information on it and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, maybe maybe at some point we'll have someone like that in our life that, that can do that. We have a virtual assistant and she does it sometimes, but we like to have her focus on the business more than our personal travel stuff. Maybe you we know? can have them like intern with us and like travel with us in the RV for six months. Yeah, well, there you guys go. If anyone out there listening is like, yeah. hey, wait a second, I know you're pretty well. I'm I, you know, I feel these guys vibe. Reach out, let them know. There you, yes, you might please have, do. Honestly, you might have a travel assistant out there. Yeah, I would. I would honestly, I would love that if we could fit someone in the RV with us. I'd take someone with us. But right now, they have to sleep on the table with the hamster, and I don't think that would work out. So, where where <laughs> are you guys parking the RV? Are you going to campsites? Is is that generally what you're doing? It depends on where we are. So, yeah. For instance, uh, in Europe, you can easily get away with staying outside of campsites. Um, I would say six oh. days a week. Yeah. We generally have to go in like at least one day a week because the whole thing of like doing laundry and everything else. I mean, we could go to a laundromat, but we just feel comfortable going into a campsite and kind of spreading out, doing laundry. Usually there's a cafe. Will and I will leave the kids in the RV and go have a date night. Um, You know, there's just little, little things like we maybe give the the RV a wash down. We do a thorough clean dump um, and and just little things like and just opportunity to spread out, put our hammocks up. And join an unlimited hot shower. Yeah. Stuff like that. But so when you're not the, doing that, yeah. So when you're not at the campsites, then you're just what? What is? Isn't there a word they, for it? They call it wild camping or wild, free okay. camping or, or boondocking. Boondocking is the word I yeah. was thinking. Yeah, yes. boondocking is a U.S. term. It's not a European term. Oh, okay. So you say yeah. that in Europe, and they're like, like boom, what? Boom? What's that? Okay, is that and, wine? And that's like you just pulling over on the. I mean, maybe not the side of the road. Like, give us a few little tips here of like if you wanted to boondock in Europe. So the whole idea of free camping Europe, you know, in terms of like being on the wild side and pulling off on like on a farm, um, we've never done that. And I know that there's there's van life people who do that, and it seems really interesting. But 
Um, you know, the, the whole concept of maybe being knocked on your door at two in the morning saying, hey, get yeah. off my land, especially with two kids, that, that doesn't really swing with us. So, you know, but there are plenty of apps out there which have pre-assigned um, free places to camp. And we use one called Park for Night. There's several of them, but we use Park and the number four and the word night dot uh, the app. There's like seven of them. There's there's a lot of there's a lot of good ones. That's the one we preferred, I think, just because we're familiar with it, too. Um, And people go on there and list places that they've stayed that allow you to park there for free. Now, they could just it could just be a parking lot. Um, in the middle of a village in France with absolutely no services, it could be or a really – go ahead. I'll no, no, or, or it could be like this municipal parking lot also in France that is totally decked out for RVs, meaning um, – and they call them motorhomes there. They don't call them RVs in Europe, but uh, that has electric, like, electric hookups. They'll dumping. have places for dumping and they'll have like bathrooms right there on site. And that's like a free, normal – Free, Yeah, it's a normal parking lot that you expect to go to if you're going to City Hall – at home, but yep. they have these great setups just for RVs, and you're like, why on earth are they trying to be nice to RVers? I'll, I don't know. I'll tell you, how many countries have we been to in Europe so far, Will? How many countries? In Europe, know. about 12. 12. Every country that we've been to so far in Europe, you could free camp, wild camp, whatever you call it, boondocking, 100%. We have not done that because we've had to pop into campgrounds from time to time, but it is it is possible. Now, we haven't we haven't camped in UK yet and some other places I think I heard Croatia we, was it was illegal or something but every place we've gone the ability to do it free is there you just have to be willing to compromise certain things right you have you may not have grass or place to put your hammock up you may be in a municipal parking lot you may you know we have solar panels you know if you, you if you want to do this and kind of do it on the on on the free side of it you do need solar you do need wi-fi you know your own wi-fi setup you need what else do you need? I mean, you have you need to have multiple gas tanks. Places you, to dump your your cassette, essentially yeah. your your waste. Um, I mean, let's put it, it can th- be done. It definitely can be well, done. Well, let's put it this way: there's a cost benefit analysis. So when accountant, right? Well, <laughs> in, in my opinion, it's this. I mean, because there are times where you say, you know what, I need to be in a campground for a week because I just need to not stress out about whether I have to turn on the car because I'm running out of electricity or whether I'm going to have to find a place to go ahead and fill my water. Now, for that, for us, we'll find a campground for a week in the middle of the winter because that's during off-season. You can find a place for, in Europe, about 20 euros a night. During during the summer, forget it. You're going to wind up spending about 40 to 50, if not yeah. 60 euros a night at a campground where, you know, it's... it's Especially it in Southern it, Europe, for sure. Right, you might as well get an Airbnb for that. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so you, so you do it, uh, like everything you guys have talked about, you kind of just do what you need to do to survive, to feel comfortable. You say, hey, we can rough it for five nights, six nights, 10 nights, whatever. Now let's bunk down a little bit. We need some time to decompress, to get work done, to shower, to do laundry, all that kind of we stuff. We base it basically on everyone's mental state and our level of work and the kid's level of school, right? And and that's kind of how we, 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 we handle it. If someone is having a really rough couple days, we'll pull into a campground so we can get some more space or someone can go work at the cafe or the recreational center or something like that. Or if we need, we have a shower in our RV, but it's, it's complicated to use it. We do use it, but it's complicated. So if it's been a week and everyone's kind of like, I haven't felt like showering and then we'll pull into a campground. We'll take nice hot showers. Then we'll talk, we'll compare the showers to other campgrounds. Well, it's the best one ever. The water stayed on. You didn't have to push the button, you know, right. that kind of stuff. And for us using Wi-Fi is, is a big deal because we use it for everything. You know, think about life now, you know, we use a ton when, when we are on the road, we are using our SIM cards, our data on our, on our cell phone plans, you know, hundred percent. So being able to duck into a campground for a day or two to, you know, use their Wi-Fi is, is, is a really good thing. 
but we've never been um, Wi-Fi deficient anywhere in Europe based on where we're parking, which is fantastic. Yeah, that's yeah. interesting. Now, one of the cool things that you guys do, other than, I mean, all of that is very cool. But another neat side is that you're saying, we want to help other people do the same thing. It's not just, hey, this is our life. We're doing it. Uh, you know, follow our journey. And hopefully we inspire people. I mean, that's a part. But then the other thing is, no, we actually want to take some of the burden off of you if you're interested in doing this. And that's where your worldtowners.com site came in and all the services you offer. What are the typical types of people that you see coming to your site, using your site, and becoming world towners? Like, do they fit? Does it fit into a mold? And of course, there's always going to be outliers. But is there a is there a demographic that you see as the general world towners that are coming to your site? It's so funny you ask this question because right now our VA is sending out a survey to anyone who's been in our world towning university or been um, a private client asking them specific questions so we can actually, and we're going to do an infographic and share it so we can actually have it exactly how it is. Um, but I have an idea in my, in my head kind of from the people we've worked with everyone and everyone that has come to us so far and, and that's everyone already has the income portion fit, figured out. Um, our, our clients range in age from, from early thirties all the way up to mid sixties. Um, but we have never had a client that's a single, a young twenties single. If we have singles, they're, they're middle age. Um, we, and our clients vary from, um, couples with children to couples without children to early retirees who are already working from home to retirees. Everyone, like I said, has the income portion fit figured out either or how they're going to fund it. They're either selling a house, they're taking out of retirement. If they're on the younger end, if they're on the older, the older end, they're already working remotely um, or they have um, some sort of a, a business that they can easily transfer to remote. So they've all which is which has actually been really shocking to Will and I because we thought people would come to us and not have that part figured out. Um, and 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 I that's what I particularly love about your bundle is you offer an, another angle and area that our clients could really benefit for it. I'm really excited to share it with them because we don't we don't focus on that area at all because people don't come to us. Right. It's not that, a need. But, You're not saying here's how to make money online and being location independent. You're you're, they've already figured that out in whatever way that they they have, and they're saying we need. Is it is it mostly what they need, like the motivation and the and like you talk about the planning of like where to go, how to go, all those logistics. Well, the reason the reason the business came about to be was I you know I was talking about that year of planning was so hard because we had to be in one world and plan for another. And we were almost derailed so many times when I, we wanted to give up. We just really did weeding through all the junk that's out there. Cause there is, there's a lot of great stuff, but there's also a lot of junk, right? So we, we decided that we wanted to help people get through that part because we truly believe that everyone can do this. There are a small handful of people who have certain limitations, medical limitations and whatnot, or custody things that cannot do it. But most people have the ability to do this. They just don't believe they can. And that they get hung up on the logistics. Like, what am I going to get for medical insurance? How do I find housing? What about schooling for my kids? The whole emotional part we were talking about, that's that's in our second class that we are when our in our class, that's the second class we offer. And when we're talking with private clients, it's the second session we do because no one thinks about that, right? And then they get and they get there and they're like, we failed, we're losers, everyone else is doing great, and why can't we do this? You know? So we, we, our idea is to help people weed through the logistics and get them and get them launched and get them launched. And I, 
I would love to be able to get those people out there that can't figure out the income or haven't figured it out yet. So we're always looking for people that are focusing on location independence and other ways to, to, to kind of people that were following us that are saying, we want to do this to kind of send them that way to figure out the money aspect of it. Because those are the two things that they like fear and money. And then if you've overcome those two things, the logistics, that's but people, if they can overcome the first two and then they get caught up in the logistics and then they sink, yep. Yep. you know, what because it, a lot of, basically a lot of them have full-time jobs and they don't have the, the, I guess the, the desire to sit until midnight, you know, after work to go ahead and take care of it. So we, we basically give them a roadmap yeah. and we hold their hand all the way through to the, to the end until they do launch because, you know, it's just nicer to have someone to talk to who's done it before. And, and, you know, and you can bounce yeah. questions off of and you can say, OK, well, my my wife thought that, you know, this might be an issue. Is this really an issue? And we're like, maybe. But, you know, you, you have know, to think Will about can it. Will offer and, and, kind of his perspective from a, from a male's perspective, because I hate to gender separate, but we, we approach things differently. You know, the genders approach things differently. So he can offer his perspective on things and I can offer mine, you know, from our experience. And obviously we haven't experienced everything. Um, but we I mean, <laughs> You know, you you love you love travel, so you get this. But we really, I mean, I guess I always say for purely selfish reasons, we want to get more people traveling, and it's it is really possible. I always say, if Will and I can do it, anyone can do it. I mean, it's not like it's like this magic potion that we took or anything. You know, we're just we're just normal, average people who who are living the typical American dream who decided they want to do it, and we did it. But there were so many times we wanted to give up, and and I can see where people do give up. Yeah, and, and exactly. And I think that's painting the picture. You know, there's you can make excuses in your head all the time. Oh, they could do it because they had kids and it was easier. Right. They could do it because they didn't have kids. You know, every right. single <laughs> thing that someone else has could be a reason they could do it, right? And right. and so it just depends how you looked at it. it looks at your it's your perspective. And I think the more people that you show doing it, okay, you guys are older than Heather and I. No, no offense. <laughs> but a little older than you than Heather and I, but you you have older kids. So like, okay, right. you could do it. I can do it and I have a younger kid. There are people who are couples who don't have kids who can do it. There are right, single people. Right. So it's like the more you show other people's stories, the more someone who's listening can resonate with one of those types of people and say, All right, well, that is kind of like me. And maybe if they can do it, I can do it as well. Are people- and let's face it, Travis, there are so many naysayers out there in, you know, most, I think I truly believe most people are great and amazing and awesome. But when you're telling people in your circle, in your stationary life that you're going to do this, there are a lot of people saying, oh, well, this or that. And you can easily start to believe it because you don't realize that there are really so many people doing this. I mean, not the masses are not doing this, but there are people doing this and there are communities to support this and tell you and cheerlead you and, you know, not sell you a BS dream like this. This really happens. People really do it as much as I'd like to sit here and say, our life is super easy and our parents are funding this trip and it's awesome. It's not the reality. You know, it's hard work. Will and I work really hard before we got on the call with you. We looked at each other. We were down in the lounge, looked at each other. And we said, I'm so tired. And he said, I'm so tired. I said, Oh my gosh, I hope we're not total thugs on extra pack of peanuts because we're so tired. We can do this. We can do this. Well, you you're, know, like, and I you're like pumping yourself up in the mirror. Right. Like you got, give this, me the double espresso. This. We yeah. got this. And I don't want to say, Oh, poor Will and I, we work so hard. I'm not saying that at all. 
it, it's but it's possible, right? You some people are super lucky, not lucky, but they've worked hard and they've created this first four hour work week. And I love it. And I love to hear their stories. And then there are people like us who are still working our tails off every day. It doesn't make either one better or worse, or it, it just makes us all going after the dream and making it happen, you know, and it's, it's, it's just, it's just possible. And I think, I think it's, it's great for any age, but I particularly love doing it with children because it opens up their mind to the world. And I think that's really important. It's just, it's just so, it's just so important being in Morocco. You know, we learned so much and we learned all about Islam and we have a religion book where we're learning about different religions, just a couple pages right now with our son. And we went through that and he was like, well, this is kind of boring. I just learned about this, you know, and I actually went in a mosque and I did this and, and I, and I don't, I do recognize that this is, that this, this is a luxury, right? Not everyone has the passport that we have that enables us to go pretty much anywhere. And not everyone can, can, you know, has just has, you know, we're fortunate. But right. we work hard. Sure. But, you know, and, I, I and you want to show the realities, that. right? Like you're fortunate, you recognize that, but that's not going to hold you back from doing it. And it's also not going to hold you back from sugarcoating everything and just saying, yeah, you right. can do it. Like just listen to our, our podcast or read <laughs> right. our blog and it'll be great. It's like, no, because then you'll get those people who, who do that. And in day three, they'll be like, I'm a loser. And they'll never push through and they'll go home and back to regular life. And that's the last thing that you that you want people to do. Yeah, we don't want anyone to fail. We want them to, you know, we have, so we started our university. So our first university students, um, one is on uh, what we call like a, a trial run right now in France because he's trying it out to see if he wants to launch there in the fall. And then our first couple, um, and they're in their early 50s, are launching to Mexico and then um, Ecuador starting June or July, I don't remember, excuse me, and then another one in the fall. And these are people that were in our first class and they, that was in the fall. So it's really exciting. Like it's, it's really exciting to see them launching and this really happening and to know that we got to be along through the whole process. I mean, it's, it's, it feels so good. You know, it makes me so happy. <laughs> if someone is there and they're listening like, all right, this is like, I want to do this world towning thing. I basically, and, and when we say the world towning thing, I guess if you could sum it up, sum it up for me in, in a sentence or two, like, what is it that you're helping people to do? We're helping them to get out and live in another country. Yep. It's okay. pretty, it's pretty simple. I mean, unless Any you time want, frame, you want... right. I mean, like some people go in three months, six months, year indefinitely, I mean, I don't, whatever. I don't think our service really helps someone that's going on like a two week vacation. Right. Right. It, so it's living. It's really long term, but yeah. I would say a minimum of three months. Um, and it doesn't have to, so we have, we had people in our last class that are going on a one year around the world. It doesn't have to be this thing where you're going to go for the rest of your life or, you know, for four years and going like we are. But if you're going to go for a year and you're not going through like a corporate expat package, you, you need someone to help you figure this out and work through the logistics. That's that's what we're here for. You know, that that's that's what we're here for. And we really we, we really try to make an effort to encourage people to, you know, figure out why they're doing this and really dig deep as well. The first two weeks covers their why and their emotions, because like we said, there are going to be days that are really bad and you need to know, you know, what you're getting into and how to pull yourself through beyond the bottle of wine. Right. If there's one thing that travel has taught us, <laughs> if there's one thing that travel has taught us more than anything else is that you really get to know who you really are once you yeah. get out there because, yeah. you know, you're not, no, you're no longer in your comfort zone and you don't have that bubble of, of sort of, uh, routine to, to make you feel as if, you know, life is the way it should be because that's the way I've always known it. Once you sort of break out of that comfort zone and you start realizing that, you know what, maybe things can be a little bit different, but I need to figure out whether it's worth it for me. Then you start figuring out exactly who you are and what you want to be yeah. and how you want to live your life. And for us, 
I mean, that has been the biggest discovery that we've seen in, in being out for the last four years. And I think we've made some of the biggest discoveries since we got in the RV. I think the further you push your limits and take yourself out of the comfort zone, the more, you know, you know what I'm saying? I mean, I feel like we were still somewhat tied to kind of corporate world because Will was still going away traveling half the year. And we still had the one kid, at least in a traditional academic setting and, you know, moving into a small space like it really it just made us I mean, I don't want to get all new agey and everything, but it just really made us think about things on, on such a deeper level. And we thought. We thought we were pretty deep to begin with, but then we're going, oh, those people back in Costa Rica, they didn't know what they were doing. Well, I, I mean, it is. It's like we said, it's dipping your toe in a little more, a little more, a little more. And for you guys, it's cutting more and more tethers off. Like, all right, we're cutting the tether to the corporate world completely. Okay, we're cutting the tether to the school calendar to some degree. Okay, we're cutting the tether to like an actual house and now we're just going to be confined to 21 and a half feet um so no that's that's really really neat one of the cool things that as a real estate nerd i appreciated and thought was very interesting that you guys offer and and there's a bunch of different packages on worldtowners.com you guys can all check that out depending on where you want to do and what help you need but you also do house hunting which i thought was cool so you have properties that are they your properties that you're renting out or are they sublease? Like, so you have a few properties on the world. Talk a little so bit about that. That is an area that I have not had the time to develop further. And I really want to, but there's not enough hours in the day. Um, two of the properties on there we own. Yeah. What we mean by develop further is mean enhance portfolio, <laughs> enhance the portfolio, add more places to it. So right. we won't put anything on there unless we own it or we've personally stayed in it. So we know the landlords, we know the prices, we know the area, and we've stayed in a lot more than are on there. I just haven't had the, the time to update it. And I need to, and I love that, but there's only so many hours in the day. Um, you know, so we we think one of the biggest things that was, I don't know, it doesn't seem that scary now. I mean, maybe because we're living in a rolling home where we have to, you know, do kind of weird things. But in the beginning, it seemed really scary to me to find housing. Well, yeah, because we you're, you're, I mean, that's your, that is your lifeline. Then when you're moving to a new country, like that is now something that is concrete and static. And I think a lot of people cling to that. Like Heather, even when we go to Airbnb, like, how are the beds? Are they comfortable? I'm like, I don't know. I've never been there. How would I know? Right. But it's like a, a fear. And, and if it's not comfortable, you're going to be pissed off. And I'm going to say something really crazy here that probably people are going to gasp when they hear this. But when Will and I left the United States, we didn't feel, or I should say, Will, the accountant, did not feel it was in our budget to go do a test run or do any checking things out ahead of time. So we rented an apartment on Airbnb, sight unseen. We had never even been to the country. We did the same thing in Ecuador. And the same in France. And the same in France. Um, two out of the three were great. The France was not bad, but we had a really crazy landlord. But we wouldn't have been able to tell that had we done a trip to check it out anyway. But then it's at that point that you realize what you need to look out for yeah. when you're doing stuff like this. Because un unless you actually go ahead and have these negative experiences, you don't know how to sort of educate someone and how to sort of avoid them. So, for instance, I mean, we think number one thing that, you know, for us as, as digital nomads – you know, <clears throat> Wi-Fi is, is a lifeline to the world. Oh, and, yeah. and so, you know, if, if a place doesn't have decent Wi-Fi, then you're you're sunk. And especially yeah. if you're going to spend a, a year there, you know, you already spent all this time sort of logistically moving to a place. And then you have to think about removing because it's not set up for your digital lifestyle. And all three places we've lived in said, we have great Wi-Fi. Now, Will and I now have a little tactic we do, we do and we share in our class. It's, it's quite simple and I'll share it here. We always make the Airbnb person send us a screenshot. Of the speed test. Of yeah. the speed test. Yeah. 
And even Smart. then when they send it, because Airbnbs are set up primarily for vacationers who go for a week or two, who typically aren't working, typically not using the internet. They're not uploading v- v- you know, vlogs. They're not conferencing in on Zoom. They're not teaching classes. So they don't need that high. So every time we get to a place, it takes about a month and a half to two months to really get the kinks out of the internet. And so we find a coffee shop and we work there or in Costa Rica, a McDonald's, and we work there until it all works out. Right. So my dream in an ideal world with world would be to have 20 or 30 properties, you know, within the next year and then build from there of places that we either own or have tested and know that they're really set up for digital nomads. For example, our place in Mexico is completely set up for digital nomads. And anytime someone leaves, I say, what do you recommend? What do we need? What do we need to make this more efficient? We've only had, I think, two people stay there that were actually vacationing. The rest have come for a month or two months or three months. They know they can work. The Wi-Fi is good. You know, it's it's just all set up. And so I we would like to have places that we could recommend or the ones that we own for people that are looking into housing. And actually one of our, one of our, one of our um, world tenant university students just rented the Mexico place for three months. Cause they said, we know, we know the owners, we know it's set up well, we know we can work from, cause they're both working from home already. And it'll be a s- easy transition before they go to Ecuador. Right. Cause yeah. it's scary. It's scary jumping into a new country and a new place. And all of a sudden you can't talk to your clients. Because the internet's not working. You're like, oh my God, I told him nothing would happen. I told him it would be perfect. Right, right. And so you guys at that point are trying to be a little bit of a one-stop shop. It's like, hey, not only are we going to help you make the transition, but here's the first place you might want to stay. We know, we've vetted it. We either own it or, or know the landlords, which I think is a fantastic idea because the needs of someone who's coming for a longer-term stay and is a digital nomad is location-dependent, much different than the needs of anyone else who's going to come through short-term or even long-term, but they don't. They don't need the same type of things. Um, so very cool. I like the idea. Keep us informed. Keep hunting down those properties. That's cool. Um, <laughs> I, I know you will because you love it as much as I do, right? So keep hunting yeah. down those properties. I want to um, just wrap it up here with some of, of course, going back to the travel idea. Some of your favorite places. You mentioned you love Slovenia. What are some of the other places that you've been to that you're like, this This blew us away? I would say um, Peru. For me, I, I I totally loved just yeah. the, the it was just so raw going to Peru. And in Peru, we had what I, for me was one of our top five experiences um, with the children. We actually hiked the Inca Trail for four days through the Andes to Machu Picchu with the kids. And it was just it was just one of those experiences. It was just wow. It was so profound that we actually. And, you know, sometimes it's hard to recreate. I'm not trying to recreate it. But starting June 1st, we're going to hike the Camino 500 kilometers with the kids. And so it takes about 35 days. We're going to do it in about seven or eight weeks because we're going to walk, hike two days, work a day, hike two days, work a day. And the kids may need that break. But I'm definitely with you on Peru, Morocco, Morocco, Morocco stole my heart and yours too, right? We, we loved the people. The people were just phenomenal, phenomenal. One of the most hospitable cultures you ever want to meet in your life. India. I like. I compared. I compare Morocco to a cross almost between Ecuador and India, and the, and the hospitality. The people were just really amazing. For me, I would say India, Morocco, Peru, Ecuador. What about you? France. I always love the cheese. <laughs> Who doesn't like baguettes? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, baguettes, wine, and cheese. Slovenia. I wish we had more time in Slovenia. We weren't there that long, but what we experienced was amazing. Right. You you pretty much have the same. We've we've talked about this a lot. We all yeah. the whole family pretty much has the same response of this. It's good because we all liked the same country. Yeah, you like you know? similar things, and that means yeah. you know what you're going to like, and you know what maybe 
you won't like and what you want to avoid. What are a few of the places that you're looking forward to the most to getting to? And I know maybe it's Europe, maybe it's not, because we all know you guys divert from your Europe plans. Um, what are the ones that you're like, these are the, I'm super excited to, to really I mean, dig in. Within the foreseeable future, meaning like the next two years, uh, I can't wait to go to Northern, like Norway, Sweden, Finland. And and we're going to do that in in the in the RV and in the very uh, end of that that I think yeah. is just going to be amazing. I'm really excited to do that in an RV. I've heard amazing things about it, and I, I don't want to do it in the winter, but I'm sure we'll figure that out. And I'm really excited to get further east in Europe. Um, I, I really I'm re- I'm really ready for something um, less western and heading east. Um, I haven't been that far east at this point, but I'm, I'm pretty excited. And that's kind of where we're, we're heading. We're kind of zigzagging up and down Europe. So we're heading that way. And after Europe, um, the plan is probably Southeast Asia. Um, we've talked about that. We, or we've talked about getting a sailboat and learning how to sail. So, and we'll, we'll figure it out at that point. It seems, it's honestly, it seems so far away at this point. I'm like, let's just get to Eastern Europe, you know? <laughs> Yeah. And I think you'll find, I mean, uh, one of the things that I have loved about my limited time in Eastern Europe is that it's, it's still totally doable, but it feels completely different than Western Europe, little more off the beaten path. It's just a, I don't know. We always say how there's a Western European girl. I'm an Eastern European guy. Like I like it a little grittier. I like it a little like what's happening here. We don't really know, but it's probably going to be pretty funny and crazy. You're like, I don't recognize that food, but I'll eat it. It's moving, but. Right. So, okay. So there you go. Awesome. What about a travel mishap that springs to mind with you guys over the last couple of years that you've had? We just had one that happened like three weeks ago. Oh gosh. Oh my goodness. I mean, we, we have. (laughs) We have we've had a lot go on in the last four years, but three weeks ago I think is the most fresh in my memory and probably the most um, anyway. It's, it's fresh in my memory too. Yeah, so we <laughs> a were fresh in Morocco wound here. Exactly. So we were in Morocco and we decided that you know doing the the ceremonial trek with camels is is something that we have to do because you know when when are you going to be back in this neck of the woods? But Will and I don't ever do what's recommended, which is you know they have jeeps that'll take you to the tents in the middle of the desert. But why would we do that when we can ride a camel for an hour and a half and not be able to feel our inner thighs for weeks? So Will and I took the camel the hour and a half to the tent. Kids too or no? Were the kids on the camel? Kids, kids too. Okay. And then instead of just taking the camel back 48 hours later, the next day we went on another camel. About a six hour camel ride, essentially. Out into a desert oasis. But. So the day before I ate food that was probably not washed correctly or washed with um, probably not the most toilet water, <laughs> hygienic water. <laughs> and, uh, I, I, I developed, Maybe I got to interject here for a second. Will and I, besides India, Will and I eat street food. We didn't in India. Um, but we pretty much eat street food and I would not say we're particularly careful if we're in a country for seven weeks, we want to try it all. We don't drink the water if we're questioning, but we did eat the salads and the fruits and all that kind of good That's stuff. That's how I got so, to hardcore status, by the way. That's right. Yeah. Well, I guess I'm hardcore too, because I, yeah. I ate, I, <laughs> basically skipped the street food in India. I had a little bit. Heather was like, don't do it. I did it. Survived. Um, but yeah, street food, let's do it. We're hard. We need a We're hard. hardcore, hardcore travel Facebook group. What do you That's think? I, yeah. I'm in. We, I guess we're presidents <laughs> well, and founders. Well, and why, we may enter all three of us at the bottom level. I mean, I think, you That's know, right. eating, <laughs> be eating street food is your, is right, the right. only requirement that you have. All right. right. So Will's so, eating, so you guys were eating the food uh, the day before. Right. 
and then the next morning I woke up not necessarily feeling that that wonderful um, and and maybe making an extra trip to the to the uh, the bathroom to the latrine and essentially he our, needed the start to, he, of our six hour camel ride. Within he really needed minutes. to be sick and stay in bed. And I begged him to stay. I convinced him that the kids and I could vlog it without him, that we would do fine. He's like, no, you're going to do shaky cam. I'm like, I can do it. Well, I can do it. I can. And he decided he needed to go with us on the camels. And so. Yeah. Within half an hour of being on the camel. He had I, to get off. I had, I could, I could no longer ride with a motion that the camel <laughs> provided to my stomach any further for the six hour journey. And. Aside from from being with the family and this being a once in a lifetime event, um, I guess not necessarily listening to my wife, who I should have, who said that I'm I should came, I should go ahead and turn back to the camp and just go to go to bed. Right, we were only twenty minutes. We could still see the camp. He could walk back, and I said, I know you. I've been with I've been with Will for almost twenty years. So I said, you got to do what you need to do, but we will not look down upon you if you choose to go back right. i said if no this was shame. me i'd be crying for my mother and i'd say leave me in the in the sand pile here to die you know so he insisted that he was gonna go so and then, i walked the desert for six hours so <laughs> after coming out here you know he had there there are not many trees to go behind when you need to use the restroom in the desert so i'll just let you all create the visual on your own so the crazy part was this so we had a that, that wasn't the crazy part well the <laughs> The crazy Here it comes. Is, so we had a guide who was leading the camel trail, essentially. And it was just the four of us. And he was on a mission to get to the oasis where we take our rest stop and take lunch. And he was on a mission to get there as fast as he, he wasn't can. stopping for anyone. And he who wasn't was sick. slowing down for me who was getting as sick as I possibly could. And, and the kids are like, Mommy, look at daddy. I'm like, Daddy's fine. He'll I was let us like know. 300 feet behind going slow down. <laughs> you know, you know, those moments like on, on movies in, in the desert where everyone says water, water. And, 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 and it sounds like, you know, they're looking for the last drop of water just to part, just to quench your thirst. That was me. And I got to the point where we got to the oasis. And you just went to sleep. I just, I just passed out. Now, let I me, couldn't, I couldn't go any further. Someone's listening this to go and they're saying those irresponsible parents. Da, 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 da. Let me tell you, we did not have cell phone service. However, our guy did. And we, so he had a cell phone service and we have evacuation insurance, which is required for our French visa. So we were quite responsible, kind of. Yes, I could have been <laughs> airlifted out. So, so you get to the Oasis well and you're, you're dead and you, you fall asleep. Not literally dead, but you're feeling that way. Do you have to walk all the way back? Like, no, yeah, I, well, I, well, no, I, I was able you know, it to took, sleep for It took two almost hours. three hours to get there and then almost three hours to get back. So what happened was he laid down. The guy made us lunch. Not really any water out there. So you can figure out who got sick next after all of this. Will did not eat that lunch, but the three of us did. Then Will says, I think I'm fine, but I really want to head back. And we're like, where's our guide? Well, we were at a little village. It just had one. It was like, not actually a village, just tents in the sand, nomadic tents. And there was there was just one family that still lived there. And it was one guy. And our kids speak French. So they were speaking with him. And we don't speak French. And we said, where's our guide? We're ready to go. We'd already been, we'd already finished eating for about an hour. I'm like, where is he? The guy was looking for the lost camels. They ran away. They don't, apparently, we've seen several people lose the camels. They don't tie them up. So he was gone looking for our camels. I, so the kids are like, what are we going to do? And our son's like, we're going to sleep here. And our daughter's like, we got to start walking. I'm like, we're not going to walk through the desert. I can see it now. My mom's reading it going, what were they thinking? Walking through the desert. Of course they were going to die, you know? 
Oh my. So, well, yeah. you, you trekked out there on foot, got sick, <laughs> on they lost the camels. I assume then they found the camels and you all rode back happily. Yes. And then we all rode back and we got great footage to to show it. And he vlogged it all. You guys have to go go watch that vlog. And then on top of it, he he was sick for about three weeks, but only really bad for two days. And as we were leaving the desert, the kids and I started getting sick two days later. So it wasn't from the same thing that he ate. We were a mess. We were a mess for about a week. We were like, oh, but what I can say is this can happen anywhere, right? That's you can right. get sick anywhere. And look at the story we have now. I think you guys have just moved <laughs> up a level on the hardcore traveler scale. There you go. So we're, lev- we're level two. You're level two. You're level two. Um, <laughs> awesome, guys. Uh, keep moving up that scale. Keep, keep those hardcore <laughs> adventures coming. Um, I just want to thank you both so much for taking the time, Jessica and Will, joining me today and showing that life you know, you always say that quote, oh, life has to stop when you have kids. No, no, no. Life doesn't have to stop when you have kids. In fact, if we all take your motto of giving our children an epic childhood, I think we'll create something even more beautiful um, for ourselves and for the world in general. I know that's getting a little woo-woo-y, but it is, it's an awesome motto that you guys have of giving your child children an epic childhood. And I love that you're doing it, but also saying to them, hey, we're going to do it if you want to do it and constantly checking back in. So as a new parent, I appreciate it. Thank you guys so much. Remind people one more time, best way to get a hold of you. Where can they find all your stuff? Where should they be going? Uh, we're, we're, we are World Towning on all social media. And then our website is worldtowning.com. All right. So worldtowning.com. You can check out the vlogs. We will also link everything up in the show notes, guys. So you can go there, extrapackofpeanuts.com slash shows. That'll have this episode show notes of the episodes from or show notes from every single episode we've ever, ever done there. Um, so you'll check it out there. We'll link everything up. Don't forget too, if you're traveling, you want a good travel backpack, tortugabackpacks.com. Use the promo yes. code EPOP. Yeah, I love my tortuga. You guys too? We have one too. We yeah. love it. They're use awesome. Uh, yeah, so get 10% off. Use the promo code yeah, EPOP. Yeah, yeah. Grab a tortuga. Um, thanks again, Justin. Will. Really appreciate it. I know I kept you a little over. Now you got to run to the... Uh, the super fancy cocktail hour or something, yeah, right? Yeah. You're, you're in a, <laughs> exactly. I didn't want to blow your cover early on, but they're actually not in the RV. They're in like a super fancy Marriott in London. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, we had to take a side trip to London just for the weekend. So we're, we're camped out at a at a at the local Marriott campsite. I'm gonna um, shower every day. <laughs> that's right. But they're using their points. They're using their points. So again, exactly. exactly. You Use go. your points. Not paying for it. So thank you guys for joining me. Appreciate it. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in today for the continued support that makes us number one radio travel podcast on iTunes. Appreciate everyone. And until next time, happy free travel. I'll show you Paris and all.